Welcome to the Dental Money Lounge, the place where dentists can tune in to grow their money, wealth and financial knowledge. Here are your hosts, Hassan Mushaid and Max Bazzucchini. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dental Money Lounge. I'm joined by our resident host, Mr. Max Bazzucchini. How are you, Max? Hi, Hassan. Hi, everybody. I'm very well, thank you. Traveling back from beautiful Dorset, back to Kent. I think pretty much every episode you make us jealous of how this beautiful Kent and uh, Dorset is. So one day we'll actually uh, make a podcast video from there. Today our special guest is Mr. Jonathan Jacobs. We've been waiting to have him on the show for, for a, a while now. He's a, an experienced lawyer who has been a commercial lawyer for over, over a decade now, working within the healthcare sector, specifically with the dental sector. He's experienced, well-connected, influential in, in the industry now. So, yes, as you can imagine, it's been difficult for, from our side to get hold of him, and we have him here today for you guys. Jonathan, how are you? I'm fine, thank you, Hassan. Jonathan, I know that you're a humble guy, and the introduction I've given you is probably not reflective of all the things that you are experienced with and knowledgeable in. Please could you introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. I'm Jonathan Jacobs. As uh, Hassan has said, I am... Uh, a specialist dental solicitor. Uh, I work exclusively uh, in the dental sector. The range of work that I do covers uh, every every legal aspect uh, in, in the sense that I'm trying to provide, if you like, a holistic service for dentists. So I will deal with uh, the sales and acquisitions of dental practices, and, and that may be asset sales and purchases or share deals. But I will also deal with the uh, Disputes between principals and associates, disputes between partners or expense sharers. Um, I will also advise on difficulties that the practitioners might have with the Care Quality Commission, uh, the CQC. Also with difficulties and disputes that they might have with the area team in relation to their GDS contracts. I also, uh, in a former life, uh, was a litigator and I've carried this on in terms of connections with the healthcare sector. So. Were it to be the case that uh, principal or associate or partners were to get themselves into a contentious dispute, then I will deal with uh, hopefully resolving those disputes without uh, the expense uh, and time of taking these matters to court. So, so if you like, anything and everything uh, dental. One of the things you didn't mention there, Jonathan, is you are the chairman of the Greater Manchester Dental Advisors. That's right. Um, you also work on behalf of A&Law. I, I do. Uh, you also are speaking at the Professional Dentistry North event, which is this weekend. It, indeed, this Friday and Saturday. Yeah, uh, we'll be seeing you there personally. And for our listeners, by the time you hear this podcast, the event would have passed. But sure do go online and check out some of Jonathan's videos. I'm sure there'll be the content will be online. Uh, Max, could you introduce uh, this week's topic? Yes, Hassan. Jonathan, it's a pleasure to have you today. I'm very grateful for you to joining us on the show. We, we've been knowing each other for nearly 10 years, uh, and we always meet up and regularly talk about topics on den- anything dental. So today, Hassan and I wanted to talk about a very hot topic at the moment, which is also recently reported in The Times, and it's a, the dental associates. Are they employed or self-employed? So we thought that we invited uh, you as a leading figure to provide a, a legal sort of conversations about around this topic. So what is actually happening right now is that the HM Revenue and Customs, they have begun issuing letters to associate dentists in, in the UK and they are inviting them to have a discussions on their employment status. So this 
obviously is going to have, if for any changes to take place, it's going to have an implication on taxation, of course, on their employment rights, but also from, from my point of view as a valuer, there could be potential uh, reduction in practice value if any change are going to take place. Because I looked at the last 100 valuations that we carried out and the, the average associate uh, fee per dental practice was approximately 160,000. So if we base on this number, the cost that the employer has to pay if the self-employed become employed status, there's going to be an increase on a 13.8% to the cost of the employer's national insurance. Obviously, it's not going to be the cost um, of the total wage because they had to be uh, applicable after the initial £702 per month. But potential uh, increasing cost of twelve to £15,000, and if we value practice on a six and a half times multiple on a beta, then there will have a potential implication of, of a reduction in practice value of £100,000. So this is the potential impact on um, the employment or self-employment status for associate. But today we will be talking about the legal implications of any changes. So Jonathan, take it away. Max, as you said, at present, coming into November 2018, associate dentists are self-employed. Every dentist who is an associate needs to carry their own professional indemnity insurance, uh, whether that be with one of the indemnity providers or whether that be a a full-blown insurance uh, policy. And on that basis, they are ultimately responsible for their work. So were it to be the case that an associate pulls out the wrong tooth or puts a crown in the wrong part of the mouth or or any other uh, potential negligence act, then it, it will be the case that any complaint that comes into the practice will be forwarded to that associate and it will be for that associate to submit the claim to their own insurer or indemnity uh, provider in order to deal with. It's been that way uh, for quite some time, uh, uh, but as you quite rightly say, we are certainly hearing that uh, associates are receiving these communications from HMRC, uh, and, and I think uh, it is correct that they are fishing to try and uh, turn these self-employed dentists into, into employees. The next question, I suppose, is what, why is it the case that associate dentists are self-employed? Well, some associates will work entirely for one principal or, or one practice. So they will be there Monday to Friday, 9 to 5 or 9 to 6, and, and they will only uh, work on patients who are supplied by one particular practice. You could, uh, I suppose, argue that that is a, an akin to an employment situation. However, if they were true employees in that situation, then they wouldn't need their own insurance. The employer, the principal, would need to carry employer's liability insurance. And if there were a negligence act committed by an associate, then the patient in question would sue the practice. They wouldn't sue the the individual associates. However, there are associates, uh, as we both know, who don't necessarily work at one practice during the working week uh, and and prefer the flexibility of doing uh, a day here and a day there. They alternatively might own their own practice and, and be an associate at another practice, which is permitted. That creates a slightly different situation. Most concerningly, uh, it, it is in terms of data and in terms of data protection. Any associate who works in one practice all week is highly unlikely to be keeping patient records on their own computer, uh, on their own laptop even, and taking that laptop home with them at the end of the working day. 
However, associates who work at more than one practice have been known and are known uh, to keep certain records on their own personal computers and that personal computer will not stay in the practice at night. It will, it will come home with them and, and, and there is the potential risk that these records may be sent out to the general public uh, which, you know, in, in the light of uh, the recent changes in data protection and uh, the fact that we now have the general data protection regulations could be a serious breach and ought, ought more than likely it will result in a complaint from the patients. But equally so, any data breaches now need to be notified to the CQC, the Care Quality Commission, and they will view this situation very dimly. But ultimately, in that situation, it would be the principal who paid the cost because it's not the associate who needs to be CQC registered. It's the principal, the owner of the practice. So, so it, it, it is a, a very, very individual situation uh, that, that, that we have in the dental profession, that, that there is really no other, no other profession that operates in this way. And, and I suppose speaking from the, from the point of view uh, as a lawyer, we don't have this situation in law. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's a position which clearly the HMRC are looking to address. Now, these correspondences that are going out to the associates are not for compulsory response. However, we do know that dentists are responding. And once the response comes into HMRC, the HMRC will start cranking the wheels and they will look at uh, trying to use this evidence, presumably, I guess, to, to, to force some form of case forward that, that this self-employed status needs to be abolished, for want of a better word, and that associate dentists ought to be consider, considered as employees. There are instances uh, where, where this has been tested in the courts and, and there is a particular ca- well-known case. It's not a case that's gone all the way to the highest court in the land, but it is a case which most uh, dental specialist solicitors will be aware of. It's a case of, of Whetstone. Mr Whetstone was the principal of a practice in which an associate was employed, sorry, beg your pardon, self-employed. A patient attended upon the associate. Something went wrong with the patient's treatment and what happened was it as it as would be in the case usually is that the patient made a complaint to the practice the practice passed the put the complaint on to the associate and the associate forwarded it to his indemnity company the indemnity company in question refused to cover now this slightly leads on to a side a side point uh, and, and uh, the explanation is, is this the the three well-known indemnity organisations, the, the MDDUS, the DDU and DPL, do not offer insurance. They offer indemnity. Dentists have the, the choice. They can either be indemnified or insured, the only profession where that applies. Indemnity is, is discretionary cover and they have the right to decline. And in cases where they don't believe uh, that there is a justifiable need to cover, they can turn around to the practitioner and say, we're not going to cover. Insurance doesn't work that way. Insurance is a 12-month contract. If, if you imagine your, your motor insurance, you take out a policy at the beginning of the year. If you have no accidents, then at the end of the year, you'll have your no claims discount protected and you'll probably get a reasonable renewal quote. If you have many accidents during the year, you'll probably not be advised by the insurers that they want to keep you, but they have to cover every single accident you have in that year. They cannot refuse to cover. So, and it's a legal contract. Indemnity is not a legal contract. This particular dentist in the Whetstone case was indemnified and his indemnifiers refused uh, to cover, the, to cover the, claims, the cost of the claim. 
The matter went into court and the ultimate outcome was that the judge found that because the associate was working in one practice, because he was wearing a practice uniform that all the staff, the nurses, the receptionist, the practice manager, the principal, the cleaner uh, were wearing, and because he was greeting his patients welcome to this dental practice, as everybody in the practice was, uh, because he was only working there, because he had set hours, set holidays, his pay was being controlled by the principal, that despite the fact he was self-employed, all these factors, uh, in their words, were akin to an employment situation. Now, that being the case, vicarious liability, uh, which is where the employer uh, becomes responsible for the, uh, the acts of the employee, was felt to be the appropriate means to go forward, and it was left to the principal's insurers to pick up the tab for this claim. Now, that, that could be the beginning of a floodgate situation. This is why the HMRC, I think, are starting to write to associates and demanding of them details of their working situation, their working status. Uh, and dentists are, aren't lawyers. They are dentists. They are experts in dealing with teeth. I don't think any information has been given to them that they don't have to respond to these letters. So responses that are coming into HMRC will be doing the HMRC a great favour and will be, will be building their evidence to the point where they can probably test this in the courts. But is this situation likely to change in the long run? Are associates likely to become employed dentists? I suspect that there is a possibility. When that's likely to happen, none of us know. What, what, what may happen is that it's done in line with the change when, when eventually the new General Dental Services contract comes in. Now, if, if I say, tell you that the current contract came in 2006 and in 2013 we were told there was going to be an updated contract and it's now 2018 and we still haven't had any changes, maybe that, that is going to be superseded by this associate situation and it may well be that this happens irrespective of whether or not, or if at all, uh, the GDS contract changes. But it is a worry, going back to the practice valuation point, because if the working state of an associate dentist does change and if it's the case that, that, that dentistry falls in line with the other professions and that you are employee until you open up your own practice then it's going to have an impact upon uh, the EBITDA. It's going to have an impact on the valuation of the practice. It's going to have an impact on the overheads. All that happens is that your indemnity organisation says, really sorry, Mr Dentist, but we're not covering this. Yeah. The patient still wants to make a claim. The patient's still entitled to compensation for the injuries that they've suffered. Mr Dentist is going to have to fork out of his own pocket. Yeah. And you could be talking tens of thousands of pounds. Not an ideal situation to no, be No, definitely not, no. Max, do you have any questions from your side? Yes. Thank you, Jonathan. This has been a great insight into potential legal um, aspect of the change into um, employment status. So currently, the HMRC guidance uh, recognises most dental uh, associates as self-employed. But as, as Jonathan will also uh, confirm, the HMRC guidance does not have the force of law. So this can change, uh, that you can change at any time. But in terms of potential um, uh, changes in or impact in evaluation of a dental practice, um, it's not going to be as simple as multiplying the cost of associate by 13.8%, which is the cost of the uh, national insurance contribution. 
So the cost obviously uh, is going to be applied after the first £702 per month of earnings per employee. And also the employer's NI uh, is an allowable deduction for income tax purposes. So it's going to affect differently sole traders uh, to uh, multiple site uh, practice owners. My personal view is that um, the cost of any potential changes uh, of associate becoming employed rather than self-employed should be split between owners or practice owners and associates in terms of uh, looking at the associate contract. But obviously this is going to be um, something that is going to be uh, discussed at a later stage. So what, Jonathan, what do you advise for any um, associate who, or practice owners who might receive a letter from HMRC inviting them to discuss about their self-employment status? What should they do? The letter is, is, is exactly that, Max. It's an invitation. It, it's not an order. Uh, they, they don't, uh, or they aren't, shall I say, regulated by HMRC. They are paid in gross by the principal or the, by the partners. Uh, and they are responsible for their own tax and national insurance, which, which hopefully they are paying and don't have any issues with the, with the inland revenue as, as a result. So what, what they should be doing is keeping this letter, but not necessarily responding to it. There isn't any doubt in my mind that if they don't respond and HMRC are on a, a crusade, which is probably the best word I can use to describe this, that they will chase. They will chase those practitioners who aren't responding. And that, that potentially can, could, could put them under pressure, thinking that they really need to uh, de- disclose this information. Uh, and and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be inclined to, to, to tell them to, uh, to do so, because effectively this will help HMRC achieve exactly where they want this project to go. And that, in essence, is going to have... Uh, a negative impact on, on, on the associate. The associates at the moment are, I suspect in the main, happy being self-employed. The relationship works in most practices with the principal. There aren't any problems. The patients are happy and the business runs along, hopefully making profits. What once, If, once this situation changes, the principals are going to have that degree more of control. Any employer has has ultimate control over his employees. Now, yes, the nurses and the practice managers and the receptionists are employees and are controlled by the principles of the practice. The associates are not. Personally, I wouldn't think that that, that they will like the situation to change. And I I, I would suggest that, that a watching brief is what they should be doing. So no, don't necessarily respond to the letter. And I suspect it is a standardised letter that says exactly the same in every single case to every associate. And then, and then the wait and see approach, see what comes back if there is a follow-up from HMRC uh, along the lines of we sent you a letter on whatever date and we haven't had a response, can you please get in contact with us? Uh, I, th- I think if they start getting to the point where they're being harangued uh, by HMRC, then that's the point at which they might be looking to take some sort of advice as to what their position is, but that, but at the moment I think it's fairly simple. The position is uh, don't disclose any information that's not 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 being forced upon you to disclose. I can't see a situation uh, where HMRC would go to court and get some form of court order forcing the associates to disclose this information to them. Uh, but you never know. Jonathan, thank you very much. 
It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Likewise, thank you. Max, would you be able to share us any more information on the HMRC link that you we, we discussed earlier? Where can associates and dentists go to to learn more about the upcoming changes of what, what the HMRC are, are kind of talking about? Yes, yes. Uh, we will also write it on uh, when we launch our, um, our podcast. However, for more information on the HMRC guidance, you can visit www.gov.uk slash HMRC internal manuals. So again, Jonathan, thank you for, for coming on to the show. If anybody is interested in speaking with Jonathan or learning more about how they stand uh, being employed or self-employed as an associate, you can visit anlaw.co.uk to learn more about Jonathan and his team. Um, alternatively, he will be at the professional dentistry events and especially in the Manchester where he will be speaking about various topics or do catch him really uh, at these times. Jonathan, again, thank you for being on the show. It's been a pleasure and we have learned so much. Uh, and, and again, we hope to have you on the show again. I think there's so much information and knowledge that we can extract further from you for the future shows, really. For all our listeners out there, uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show with Jonathan and us. If there's any information that you require, comment below in, in the comment section and we'll try to get Jonathan to respond back to those personally. And tune in for the next show. Remember to subscribe, like and share with anybody that you think could gain benefit from listening to this. And we'll catch you guys next week. A word from our sponsors. The Creative Composite. Dental marketing, which helps you grow. The Pluto Partnership, where professionalism meets confidence.